Certainly, I appreciate the good, humble prayer and ask that you continue to pray as I stand before you this morning. Um, there have been many times in my life where prayer has changed my life. Um, I know it has you as well. Prayer is not something to be taken advantage of or taken lightly. The only reason that our prayers have any sort of effectiveness, the only reason our prayers um, are even accepted by God the Father himself is because it goes through Jesus Christ. It goes through our mediator. And I thank God for that good, humble prayer that was prayed by our dear brother. Thank God for you. Thank God that we stand in the place that we do this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 9. And we'll start reading in verse 1. Hebrews chapter 9 and in verse 1. We pray that the Lord will get me out of the way on this and that we'll be able to see Jesus high and lifted up. Um, in context of this message that we have this morning, um, we don't know definitively who wrote the book of Hebrews. Many believe that it was the Apostle Paul. I'm included in that group. It makes sense to me. Um, this is the writing style of Paul. Um, it's The message of it is allotted much like um, the legal format, the very much context on context on context format that God, um, excuse me, Paul usually writes in. Um, and the context of the book of Hebrews was this. It was written to a people who wanted to stay in the old law service. They were a people who were preached to, the gospel was preached to them, Christ was preached to them, and they heard that message. But then they said, why should we leave the law? God ordained this law. God um, literally told our forefathers, Moses and many more, Aaron was part of that, that these are the things that you should do. You should go and you should sacrifice. You should keep the Ten Commandments. You should do all of these things. Why should we move away from that? And these early Christians, as it were, were sliding back into these old um, first covenant practices, if you will. And Paul's message to them was this. Christ did not do away with the law. He fulfilled the law. And the fact that he fulfilled the law means that you should no more serve God in these um, ritualistic practices and sacrificing of animals and the keeping all the covenants that he had before. But you should serve Jesus Christ in a new and living way. Not as that he's done away with the law, but that he has fulfilled the law. Another thing that the Hebrews had wrong in their thinking was this. They did not understand what the law actually meant. Romans chapter 5 and in verse 12 said this. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. The law was not to give righteousness. There was never a time where the people of God, whether Israelites or whether you and me, we're going to do some sort of good works or bring our best toward God, and that would be our ticket to heaven. No, not in any wise. The law entered that the offense might abound. Every time that a priest came into the tabernacle and offered up sacrifices to God, they would not enter in without blood, especially into the holiest of all. There would be times where they would enter into the first court of the tabernacle just to simply do the daily ordinances that they, that they had before them. But they offered blood there as well. But they would never enter into the holiest of all without blood. Now, I would ask you this, child of God. If we were a priest back then, and every day 
we would enter in accomplishing the services of God, taking care of the tabernacle. Maybe you were cleaning it up. Maybe you were clipping the little candles that were in right now. You were taking care of it. Or you brought in some sort of sacrifice. There was an animal that was killed. Blood was there. Sacrifice was there. And you looked at that animal. And you looked at what you did day by day. And you thought in your mind, that animal is my sacrifice. Death was needed to accomplish this purification of the flesh and to accomplish God's law. And then you looked at yourself. I was supposed to be that animal. I was supposed to be that sacrifice. Day by day by day, the priest came in to the tabernacle and they offered blood for sins. The law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. But the law was not just to manifest sin. In Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 1, if you just flip your pages over, over 1, it says, For the law, having a shadow of good things to come and not the very image, can never with those sacrifices which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. What that's simply saying is this, that the law that they had back then when they brought forth um, a red heifer or when they brought forth a lamb or they brought forth any animal to sacrifice, that sacrifice in of itself objectively did not take away any sins. Why? Because it was an animal. It was not a perfect sacrifice. It was brought forth without blemish because that's how God told them to bring it forth. And the second purpose of the law is this. It was a shadow of good things to come. There was a reason why God told the Israelites to bring forth a lamb without spot, a lamb without blemish, because there was coming a day where the lamb without spot, the lamb without blemish would come forth and he would save his people from their sins. The law is glorious in this aspect, and it's nothing to be despised, but it's a shadow of good things to come. Now, let me give this example right here to just illustrate this point. I love steak. It is my favorite food. If you ever invite me to your house and you have steak, I will be one happy camper. That, that's just the truth. My favorite restaurant, and I'm not asking for y'all to make me steak, by the way. But I, I, I like it. It's my favorite food. Um, my favorite restaurant to go to um, for steak is Shapley's in Jackson. And here's, here's the point that I'm trying to make. When I eat that steak, I am very happy, right? Like I'm experiencing it, all the, all the tastes and all the good like, you know, textures of it. It's just, it's just good. If you were to give me a picture of a Shapley steak and you had told me, like, John Mark, we're going to Shapley's and I'm going to buy you a steak. And the waiter comes up and he serves me up a picture of that steak. You know what I'm going to say? What is this? <laughs> you know, I'm not going to be very happy. Like, it's a picture of what I want, but it's not exactly what I want. Right. The Hebrew children were in bondage here. They were serving a picture of what would actually come later. They weren't serving the actual Lamb of God. They weren't trying to go forth and actually embrace what was really meant to be embraced. They were embracing the picture. They were embracing the shadow, not the exact thing. Right. And Paul here, 
as we're about to get to in Romans 9, so eloquently puts it forward why we should not do that. And it does apply to and it does apply to us as well in our lives, and we'll try to get into that later. But it says in Hebrews 9 and verse 1, Then verily the first covenant had also ordinances of divine service and a worldly sanctuary. There was a tabernacle made the first, wherein was the candlestick and the table and the showbread, which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil, the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of all, which had the golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid round about with gold, wherein was the golden pot that had manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tables of stone. And over it, the cherubims of glory shadowing the mercy seat of which we cannot now speak particularly. Now when these things were thus ordained, the priests went always into the first tabernacle accomplishing the service of God, but into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he had offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signified that the way to the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the sacrifice perfect as pertaining to the conscience, which stood only in meats and drinks and in divers washings and cardinal ordinances imposed on them until the time of reformation. We'll stop there just to build a context right here. We want to get to verses 11, probably around till verse 14, but we'll stop to make the context. So in verse 1 we find here that the first covenant, meaning the old law service, was ordained of God. It was divine ordinances, and it was done inside a worldly sanctuary. We can go back to Exodus chapter 25 and around verse 9 where God gave Moses the actual directions in building the tabernacle. And he said, do all things according to the pattern that thou were given, that thou was given in the mount. There were about five chapters there where God told Moses piece by piece in very, very great detail. He went minute. And these aren't like, you know, little, these aren't five Psalms right here. These are five long chapters where God tells Moses, here's how I want you to make the curtains, here's how I want you to make the doors, here's how I want you to make the Ark of, Ark of the Covenant, here's how I want you to make the table of the showbread, on and on and on. It goes in very great detail how this tabernacle is supposed to look, how you're supposed to enter in, what the priests are supposed to wear when they go in, what it, what it represents. All of those things were told to Moses. And he said, do all things as according to what thou was given in the mount." After the pattern. And child of God, we have the same semblance here in the church. We are supposed to do everything as according to the pattern. Guess who gives the best pattern? Guess who gives the only pattern that we are supposed to follow here in the New Testament church? It's Jesus Christ. It's God the Father. If we ever get the idea that we have a better idea than what God gave or what Jesus gave, we need to reevaluate ourselves. They, in the Old Testament, were judged for doing things that they did not have liberty to do. 
Aaron's own sons, two of his sons were priests. All of his sons were priests for, for what I know of. But we can look in Leviticus chapter 10 where they were accomplishing the service of God. And God gave specific instructions on how you should do a burnt offering. And you were not supposed to get fire from any place. He said, you go to this specific altar that I am going to providentially, by my hand, keep the fire going day and night. And I'm going to be the one that gives you that fire. Aaron's sons didn't see fit to do that. They said, I'm going to go get fire from this other place. Maybe it was out of convenience. Maybe it was simply just what Aaron's sons wanted to do. But guess what? God didn't say to do that. And what God doesn't say to do is wrong. And I'm not sure I said that right. I'm sorry, y'all. Y'all, y'all pray for me. Um, the gospel is preached by man, um, and it is a miracle. And... Please pray that the Spirit of God would come. But Aaron's sons came and they offered that burnt offering towards God. With that strange fire, with that fire that they got out of the way, God struck Aaron's sons down, literally sent fire from heaven and consumed them. Behold the goodness and severity of of the Lord. The most profound part of that story to me is this. God spoke to Aaron immediately after that and he said, don't rinse your garments. Don't mourn right now for your sons. He said, mourn that God was disrespected. He said, mourn that you didn't go forth and you didn't do things after the pattern. How brave how sobering is that? To look at the goodness and severity of God, how much should we go forth and serve and love and in fear exactly how God said to do it? He's God. He's the authority. And He said, do all things according as He hath um, ordained after the pattern in the mount. The pattern was important. And when they came in, it was given to them in great, great detail. As it is to us. He says in verse 2. In Hebrews chapter 9. For there was a tabernacle made. The first wherein was the candlestick. The table and the showbread. That which is called the sanctuary. And after the second veil. Which was called the holiest of all. Which had the golden censer and the ark of the covenant. Overlaid round about with gold. Wherein was the golden pot. That had manna and Aaron's rod that budded. And the table of the covenant. Again, we see the aspects of here that the law had a shadow of good things to come. There is not one piece of furniture here in the Ark of the Covenant that did not point to our Lord Jesus Christ. Here in the outer tabernacle, we find um, in this, that was actually called the sanctuary. There was a candlestick. What is to be held on a candlestick is to hold a candle. It's to hold light. Jesus Christ is the light of this world. Not only is he the light of this world, he is the light of your life. We go forth with the light that Jesus has given us and we walk in clear view of what the Son of God has shown us. And there was a table of showbread. Jesus is the bread of life. He is our daily nutrition. He is our daily food and he gives us exactly what we need in this world to go on. 
But more than that, in the holiest of all, there was a golden censer wherein um, the priest would put the, the anointing, as it were, the sweet-smelling savors, the things that they would offer up unto God, and God would receive as a sweet-smelling savor. Is not the sacrifice of Jesus Christ a sweet-smelling savor to God even today? And the Ark of the Covenant, where the priest would come and sprinkle the blood um, of the sacrifice on there to appease the Lord for a time there. Many glorious representations are made right here. But in the seventh verse, it says this. But into the second went the high priest alone once every year, not without blood, which he offered for himself and for the heirs of the people. The Holy Ghost, this signifying that the way into the holiest of all was not yet made manifest while as the first tabernacle was yet standing, which was a figure for the time then present in which were offered both gifts and sacrifices that could not make him that did the sacrifice perfect as pertaining to the conscience. Then we come to verse 11, where it says, But Christ, being come a high priest of good things to come, by greater and more perfect tabernacle, The biggest, one of the biggest parts of this verse to me is what we find in the very first parts where it says Christ is actually come. Where it says, um, we can look here in Hebrews chapter 10 and in verse 7 where he says, Then said I, lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written to do thy will, O God. Above when he said, Sacrifice and offerings thou wouldest, thou wouldest not. Neither hast thou pleasure therein, which are offered by the law. Then saith he, Lo, I come to do the will of God, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first, that he may establish the second. Jesus Christ came to do the will of God. And Jesus, what he did was perfectly ordained and perfectly aligned by the Father. There was no separation there. And child of God, you are bought in the blood of the Lamb. You are cleansed by His sacrifice. We can go forth and see the gloriousness of God. We can come forth in His kingdom and worship Him with that knowledge. Not that we come with the blood of sacrifices. Not that we come with our own um, works as it, as it is. But we come with the blood of Jesus Christ on our minds, which actually cleansed us. In closing, I will say this. In verse 14, we find, How much more shall the blood of Christ through the eternal Spirit offer Himself without spot to God purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? The point of Paul's letter to the Hebrews here is... The fact that he is saying, when you try and seek the picture, when you try and seek the things 
that do not purge your conscience, that do not actually purge your flesh from those dead works, do not purge you from your sins, you will not find rest there. The only place that you find rest in is through the blood of Christ. What actually cleansed you. That is the focus of our worship here in the New Testament church. And that should be our focus here today. God bless you. Very much appreciate the words that have gone on before and the preaching that the Lord uh, blessed Brother John Mark to do. Uh, there was a theme in the New Testament church uh, that Judaizers would come in and would try to get the church of the Lord Jesus Christ to say what Jesus did on the cross was not enough, but they must add to it the works of men. And Brother John Mark has ably preached unto us that what the Lord did uh, was enough. The theme of the book of Hebrews is better. What the Lord Jesus gave us in the New Testament is far better than anything under the law service. He used the analogy of the picture of the steak, and uh, I don't think any of us wants to eat a picture or a shadow of a steak. Uh, I used the analogy that when I went to ask for Sister Emily's hand in marriage from her father. I would not have been satisfied if he would, would have said, no, you can't have her, but you can have her shadow. I wouldn't have been pleased with that. And so many of the things that happened in the Old Testament law service were shadows of good things to come. And there's a lot of beautiful pictures in that. Uh, one of the things Brother John Mark mentioned was the sons of Aaron uh, not doing the prescribed way of worship that God had ordained. He had said, you get of the fire that I sent, and don't try to get any other fire. You know, man has a tendency to think they can do something better than what the Lord has given us. And we can't ever do that. But in our fleshly nature, we can be tempted to think we can find a better fire than what the Lord gave us. As Brother John Mark said, the Lord uh, executed his sons for that transgression. What the Lord gives us is always the best. And the fire that he's given us in the New Testament church that came down the day of Pentecost there in Acts chapter 2. He said it came, the Spirit of God came as a rushing mighty wind. And it came as tongues of fire. And that was the Holy Spirit of God coming down in a wondrous and a precious way. And there's nothing that man could ever do that would substitute for that fire. Man can't make that fire. Man can't get that fire from somewhere else, but the Lord, by his Holy Spirit, comes down and blesses us and is able to fill the house and to fill each one. What the Lord has given us is truly the best. Uh, all those sacrifices they had offered 
time after time after time after time. But it never took away one sin. But it was a picture of the great sacrifice, the Lord Jesus Christ, that would come and would suffer and bleed and die and be the sacrifice of all sacrifices so we might would be with the Lord in heaven and a more glory. Very thankful for the words that have gone before and for the truth that has been preached unto us this day. Got your Bibles, I'll invite you to turn to, to Matthew chapter 8 just for a few minutes this morning. In verse 5, this is shortly after the Sermon on the Mount that the Lord has preached. Said, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion beseeching him, and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof, but speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. For I'm a man under authority, having soldiers unto me, and I say to, to this man, Go, and he goeth, and to another come, and he cometh, and to my servant do this, and he doeth it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled, and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I have not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And I say unto you that many shall come from the east and the west and shall sit down with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the children of the kingdom shall be cast out into outer darkness and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. Here the Lord Jesus commended the faith of this Gentile, this centurion. The Lord had dealings with centurions and we see numerous accounts of centurions throughout the New Testament. We see that Cornelius was a centurion whose prayers came up as a memorial before God. God heard the prayers of that Gentile Roman soldier and the Lord had given him a heart to pray. There was that centurion at the scene of the cross of Christ that when he saw all the things that were done, he said, surely this man was the son of God. And it shows the great grace that the Lord had bestowed upon the Gentiles and even upon Roman soldiers who were enemy soldiers that had come into Israel because they were in one sense in bondage. But the Lord still had a people, even amongst them. And the Lord 
It's very evident that the Lord had moved in the hearts of those Roman centurions, those soldiers that had the command of a hundred men. The word centurion means a hundred. If we think of the word century, the word C-E-N means a hundred. It's a hundred years. And a Roman soldier had such authority that when he commanded any one of those 100 men, they would do his bidding and do what he said. We see here a centurion. A centurion who loves his servant. He loved the one that served in his house. We can see a lot about this centurion's heart. He could have thought of that servant as beneath him. He could have thought of that servant as not worthy of the Lord's healing. But he didn't. He's going to do everything he can to help the servant that has served him faithfully. And he doesn't think of the servant as unworthy, but he thinks of himself as unworthy. He said, Lord, I'm unworthy that thou shouldest come unto my roof. This is also recorded in the book of Luke. And if you look in Luke's account of it, it gives a little more specificity than where we are in Matthew. And the man felt so unworthy, he actually sent messengers to the Lord. When it talks about him speaking to the Lord, he's doing it through messengers. He didn't even feel worthy to come unto the Lord. The people that came unto the Lord, the Jewish messengers that came, would tell the Lord that this man was worthy, that this man had, had shown a lot of love unto the Jews and had even built a synagogue. They would say, this man's a good man. This man is worthy. But he said, Lord, I'm not worthy. He saw himself as guilty, undone sinner. He saw a servant, he had compassion on him. He was sick of the palsy and he was grievously tormented. The Lord quickly says, I'll come and heal him. The Lord was, was very ready to fulfill the request and to heal this centurion servant. You know, the Lord heals so many throughout the scriptures. You'll look at different specific healings that the Lord did. Different ones he brought back to life. And it tells you specifically the woman that had an issue of blood that said, If I can but touch the hem of his garment, I shall be made whole. And you see some very specific healings that the Lord Jesus did. But you'll see numerous scriptures in the New Testament that there were days where he just healed Many, many, many in one single day. I'm sure there's not space in many books that could be written to just detail every single healing that the Lord Jesus healed. But some are given for us to see the healing grace of God. And the Lord still heals today. The Lord still answers the prayers of his people today. I don't believe in healers. 
I don't believe there's people walking around that have the special gift of healing. But I'll tell you, I still believe in a Lord that heals. I believe in a Lord that answers prayers. And our prayers mean something. The prayers of Cornelius, that centurion there in Acts chapter 10. These prayers went all the way up in the very throne room of God. And he said, your prayers and your alms are come up as a memorial before God. And so our prayers come up there today. Our prayers mean something to the Lord. Our prayers come up as a sweet-smelling sacrifice unto God. God is pleased when we pray to Him. God is pleased when we ask for healing for those we love. And God is pleased that this centurion loved his servant so much that he was willing to send messengers unto the Lord to say, please heal my servant. They said he was beseeching them. He was strongly urging, Lord, please. Shows the love this man had. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy. Again, he was doing this through servants. If you look in the book of Luke, that thou shouldest come under my roof. Lord, I'm not worthy that you should come into the door of my house. But speak the word only, and my servant shall be healed. This man's faith was great. His trust in the Lord was great because he knew and realized that the power of the Lord was so strong that the Lord didn't just have to come in and physically lay his hands on his servant, but he could just speak the word from afar and his servant would be healed. This centurion seemed to believe the Lord Jesus could do anything. I hope I believe that this morning. I hope we all believe that, that with men so many things are impossible, but with God all things are possible. And I hope and trust we all believe today that King Jesus, our Lord, can do anything. He can heal by physically touching, and he can heal by speaking the word on him. And my servant shall be healed. He said, for I'm a man under authority, having soldiers under me. Notice where he started. He didn't start with, I've got soldiers under me. He started with, I'm a man under authority. You know, the best leaders are those that know that they are also followers. Too many leaders in America have thought about the people that are under them and they've not thought about the one that's over them. God Almighty. And I'm going to tell you, any great leader that would lead people in the right way must first understand that they're under authority. And I'll tell you, whenever I go to the voting booth, I'm thinking of, does this person, does this man, Understand, he is under the authority of God. Is this a leader that will try to follow the, the precept of God's word and realize I'm under the authority of God as I lead others? This man realized he was a man under authority. He was a man submissive of authority before he could ever lead anybody. You know, 
a phrase that one of our founding fathers used was in a, a letter to some Baptist people. And the phrase was used, separation of church and state. And that phrase has been very twisted in our world today. It was used in the context in that letter by one of our founding fathers to some Danbury Baptists out of fear that the Danbury Baptists had that the government would try to tell us how to worship. And it was out of that fear that the founding father would say, no, there's a great wall of separation between church and state so that the, the government cannot tell us how to worship, but the Lord's told us how to worship. That's come to be twisted that God can be pushed out of government. That God can be pushed out of the public square. But that was never the intent of our founding fathers. When you look at their writings, they realized they were men under authority. They were men that realized that this nation would not work unless it was under the blessing and the providence of Almighty God. And it's still true today. And this man realized he was a man under authority. And yes, he had soldiers under him. But he tried to lead them in the right way. He say, I say to this one, go, and he goeth to another, come, and he cometh. See, he recognized Jesus as a man of great authority. And he said, if you just speak the word, my servant shall be healed. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to them that followed, Verily I say unto you, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And we see some of the hallmarks of great faith in that realizing we're under the authority of God and it's not my way, but it's the Lord's way. That's part of the mark of great faith. Part of the mark of great faith is to never underestimate the Lord. You remember in Isaiah chapter 6 how Isaiah saw the Lord? Said in the year that King Uzziah died, he said, I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. And the train, that is the train of his robe, it filled the temple. Isaiah saw the Lord high and lifted up. How high do I see him today? Do I see him higher than any giant that may come up against me? Do I see the Lord higher than any trial or tribulation that may be in my path on a day-to-day -day basis? We should see him high lifted up. We should see him able to do anything, nothing being impossible to the Lord. That's a mark of great faith. The centurion said, no, you don't have to. I realize, Lord, you don't have to be here to literally put your hands, but you just speak the word. Lord, I realize the greatness of your power and your strength. You can do anything. That's a mark of great faith. I'm going to tell you, it's not only a mark of great faith that we see the Lord very high and very lifted up, but we see ourselves very unworthy. The centurion said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. I'm not worthy 
Even as, as Luke's gospel tells us, he even said, folks, he said, I'm not even worthy to go physically to the Lord. But he sent others. One of the marks of great faith is us to see our unworthiness. We sing a song, Lord, I'm unworthy to be called thy son. Years I've wasted. So lost and undone. He saw the Lord as high. He saw himself as very low. Isaiah would say, in that Isaiah chapter 6, after he had seen the Lord high and lifted up, he would then say, Woe is me, for I am undone. For I am a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Had a friend one time that was working for a preacher of another order. And one of that preacher's sons had told my friend that he had gotten to the point in his life where he hardly ever sinned. I told my friend, I said, I found that people walking closer to the Lord, they seem high and lifted up. And they don't say, look how good I am. I hardly sin anymore. But they say, woe is me. For I'm undone. I said, you need to watch out for that. That kind of attitude. That's a wrong teaching. Great faith is marked by seeing the Lord high and lifted up. Great faith is, is marked by us trusting Him and believing in Him for everything. And knowing that He's able He's able to take care of the biggest giants that come against us, the biggest trials and tribulations that come against us. And the Lord Jesus marveled at his faith. He said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. He said the faith that this Roman, this Gentile centurion that some of the Jews would have called a dog, he said, I've not found so great faith, no, not in Israel. And he gives us a sweet promise there. He said, I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west. Here the Lord gives us a beautiful picture that he wasn't just the Lord of the Jews, but he was the Lord of the Gentiles. He was reminding them that he's got a people out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation that he came not just to redeem the Jews, but he came to redeem the elect family of God out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, that he has a people amongst all peoples that he loves, that he came to suffer and bleed and die for, and that perfect sacrifice that Brother John Mark was preaching to us about said, and I say unto you that many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down. 
You know, there's a lot we need to do in laboring in the kingdom of God. There's a lot that we need to do in serving the Lord Jesus. He's done so much for us. It is a pleasure to do things and to live our lives every single day that we may please him who had chosen us to be a soldier. But I'll tell you when it comes to the work of redemption, to our home in heaven, we can sit down because he's done the work. He's finished the work on Calvary. He said, we can sit down at a table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. We see that sweet picture of the table we have in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is a table that the Lord spread for us, that the Lord Jesus himself sits at and blesses us with his presence. Remember, in his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. But I'm going to tell you as as we worship in the assembly of the saints and as the Holy Spirit of God comes down and as we're reminded there in the book of Hebrews that we're coming to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to an innumerable company of angels, and to the spirits of just men made perfect. I believe I'm blessed to be worshiping this morning with a bunch of brethren and sisters whose spirits and souls have been made perfect in the new birth by the blood of the Lord Jesus. We're born again children of God. But I'm going to tell you there's a sweet picture when we worship the Lord that in a sense heaven's open. We sing that song, heaven comes down our souls to grief and glory crowns the mercy seat. And in a special way of great blessing, we not only sit at the table with each other and sit at the table with the Lord, but it's a big table. And he said, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob are there. Such a sweet sense that when we're blessed in the church of the Lord Jesus with the spirits of just men made perfect, it even goes into heaven itself. Where Abraham is and Isaac is and Jacob's is. What a sweet picture of grace. And the Lord healed his servant. Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, as thou hast believed. So be it done unto thee. And his servant was healed in the self-same hour. We don't, believing has nothing to do with us being born again. When we're dead in trespasses and sins, we don't have the ability to believe. So believing has nothing to do with us being born again because until we're born again, we don't have the ability to believe. But I'm going to tell you some of the sweet blessings we have in life. can be in part conditional on do we believe in the Lord that we're looking for the blessing from. Notice what Jesus tells him. As thou hast believed, be it done unto thee. 
where the rubber meets the road. Do you really believe I can heal your servant by speaking the word only? Do you really believe? It's obvious that the centurion did. When he saw the Lord high and lifted up, he wasn't kidding. He did. When he saw the Lord powerful and glorious, he did. He said, as thy eyes believe, so be it unto them. I'm afraid sometimes I've missed some blessings in my life. Temporal blessings, not, we're not talking about heaven and the morning of glory. But I think I've missed some temporal blessings in my life because I doubted instead of trusted. But I said with my lips, I believe the Lord can do anything, but the way I acted, I acted as if he could. We serve a Lord that loved us so much he came to secure everything to take us one sweet day to heaven and a morning glory. Will not that same Lord walk with us now? Will not that same Lord be there to be stronger than any enemy that could come against us? Than any Goliath we may face? That's our Lord. I pray that I'll trust him with all that I have every day that I live. May God richly bless you, is my prayer.